It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. Welcome in to the Wednesday Staple Show. It's just Ryan Talbot and I tonight. We're still working on that mystery guest that it's kind of become at this point. I know we've been promising a big show. It's still in the works. We're trying to find a date uh, that it's going to work, but we're super excited about it. This is the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Whether you're celebrating at home or away this weekend, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. Don't miss the Friday show where we are going to get into this Jacksonville Jaguars game. We might get it a little bit into something that uh, Urban Meyer said today uh, about the Buffalo Bills. We can talk about that in a little while, but I wanted to start with, you know, the trade deadline. Uh, We're going to talk a little NFL big picture stuff. What's going on with Aaron Rodgers out in Green Bay? What's going on with Odell Beckham Jr. in Cleveland? We're going to talk about the Bills and the trade deadline and and the, the fact that they didn't make a move yesterday that I think a lot of Bills fans were hoping to see something done. We'll get into all that, but maybe let's start with Odell because I just wrote a story of, up on uh, New York upstate Syracuse.com, you know, I asked Stefan Diggs about this because I thought if you're talking about like the people on the planet, that could probably put themselves in Odell Beckham Jr.'s shoes right now. One of maybe a handful is Stefan Diggs because of everything, you know, he went through in Minnesota and how good things have gone in Buffalo for him. But, you know, set this up a little bit. You know, A, what's going on with Odell Beckham Jr. in Cleveland right now, and also the fact that, man, Cleveland was supposed to be this powerhouse in the AFC going into the season, and they're not looking at anything like that. Yeah, no, I, I believe statistically they're in, in last place in, in the division right now with the Steelers, the Bengals, and the Ravens, obviously all playing very uh, good football. But with Odell Beckham Jr., you know, today uh, apparently he was at the facility, he was ready to practice, and he was pretty much sent home and told, you know, you're not going to be out there with us right now. Uh, they were talking about it post-practice. Baker Mayfield pretty much said he would accept an apology from Odell Beckham Jr. But to take it a step further back than that, uh, his father on Instagram, I believe, posted a video clip that was a few minutes long of all the times that he was open in Cleveland. And it's under the belief that Mayfield is just not throwing him the ball uh, and that there's some kind of conflict there between the two, which... You know, listen, that that's pr- a pretty wild accusation for, for someone to put out there, especially like you said, Matt, this team had Super Bowl aspirations going into this season. Uh, I don't care if you don't see eye to eye with a teammate or something like that off the field, on the field, you got to utilize all of your weapons. And, you know, maybe Odell Beckham Jr. is not the player that he was uh, that when he came on the scene with the Giants, so to speak. But I don't know how much you can really put into it stock wise that Mayfield goes out of his way to not throw him the ball. Yeah. It's, it's kind of an ugly situation brewing here. I mean, we're you're sitting here, this kind of develops after the trade deadline. So if you're the Cleveland Browns, you're kind of hamstrung in terms of what you can do. You know, there was a report out there that the saints and the Raiders would be interested. Should Odell Beckham become available, you know, but I asked Stefan Diggs about this today because when he left Minnesota, you go back to that year in 2019 before he was traded in 2020 to the Bills. 
he kind of had a similar situation where he wasn't sent home, but he skipped a couple days of practice. And when he got back to the facility, all, all everything was like a buzz and everything was going crazy. Like what's going on? He did that press conference that kind of went viral and he was uh, fined a lot of money. And, you know, you, you kind of felt like it was headed towards, you know, a divorce, a breakup. And eventually it happened in the, in March of 2022 or 2020. But I asked him about it and he said, listen, you know, you got to look at the big picture sometimes. Uh, I understand what it's like to not be in a, a great headspace because I was there at one point referring to what went down in Minnesota. And he says, I'm not going to say buck up to him or anything. I'm, I'm just going to say I wish him well and I hope it all works out. If you want to go back and listen to the whole thing, I think the Bills put out Stefan Diggs's, uh, they carried his press conference live. I thought he was really introspective and insightful on not only the Odell Beckham situation, but Calvin Ridley, who stepping away from football to deal with some mental health issues of his own. Uh, talked a little bit in detail about that. And then just like the attention to mental health right now going on in the NFL, you know, I thought he was really insightful. And this just is another level of what we've, we've come to expect out of Stefan Diggs. Yeah, it was a great press conference with Diggs. Like you said, he was very articulate with, with the way he said things with uh, the need for, for players to sometimes take a step back for mental health and absolutely with Calvin Ridley, hope for nothing but the best. Uh, and same with Odell Beckham Jr. But listen, this isn't the first time this has happened to Odell Beckham Jr. This also happened with the Giants where he kind of wore out his welcome despite putting up some really good stats with that team. It's happened once. It could be happening a second time here. If it ever happens again, you have to start wondering. It has to kind of almost be a little bit on that player, too. So with Stefan Diggs, listen, there was a lot that happened in Minnesota. There was a lot of reasons he wanted out of there. The offense wasn't necessarily built around passing the ball. Some frustration uh, with the head coach, Mike Zimmer. The list goes on and on. With Odell Beckham Jr., it seems like it's a little bit different in terms of a personality conflict, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, but I, I thought that the way he he really talked to the media today about both players, both Beckham and uh, Ridley, I thought it was really well done. Yeah, I know it, you look at Odell Beckham Jr.'s situation and, you know, the the pairing of two stars. I'm going to use that term loosely because I don't know if I'd actually put Baker Mayfield into that category. I think he's a star because of the commercials and being the number one overall draft pick. I don't think he's quite lived up to what they drafted him to be. And I can get the frustration on Beckham's end. I mean, if you're looking at the two guys, right? Odell Beckham Jr. has been an all pro in this league. You know, we haven't seen that level of play from, from Baker Mayfield. The problem begins when you start to have family, family members inserting themselves into the conversation. And listen, you got to handle this, 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 these kinds of things behind closed doors. Uh, I know that there's some, you know, issues between Stefanski, it seems, and, and Beckham so much so that Beckham, according to one report, shut off uh, communication with the coach. He said in his press conference today, we'll see what happens. Uh, if you're just tuning in, I know this isn't a Cleveland Browns podcast, but I think it's it's worth spending some time on and I guess maybe just focusing in on how well things have gone for Stefan Diggs here in Buffalo and how even when you arrive at this point, and I, I, like you mentioned, this is the second time now that you know maybe Odell is, is wearing out his welcome, but it's a situation where if you do find the right fit, where everybody's moving in lockstep, you have synergy around the building, you're seeing what it could look like because this Bills offense, it was nothing like what it is now before Stefan Diggs got here and every button they've pushed since. It's just been magic. 
Yeah, culture matters. Uh, and in Buffalo, they have a, a great culture, a great locker room. Uh, there's no issues. There's no jealousy. We've seen in the past two weeks, Cole Beasley get a lot of receptions. And, you know, the, the last game against the Dolphins, Manny, uh, Manuel Sanders had zero receptions on a few targets. It, it's just, you know, there's no jealousy. There's no animosity. They're all happy for one another. When Stefan Diggs caught the touchdown pass, the first person to celebrate him with him was Sanders. So, they realize there's one ball that goes around. It's a really healthy win first mentality here. Uh, for whatever reason, something is off in Cleveland with the head coach, with the receiver, with the quarterback. And when, when you have some kind, you know, there, there's something broken there, so to speak, that's never good for the team as a whole. All right. We're going to move this thing right along to what you are tuned in for. It is the picture and the headline on this episode of Shout of Football Podcast. The trade deadline came at four o'clock yesterday. First of all, Ryan, we went live on Twitter spaces with Nate Geary mm. and Greg Thompson from cover one. It was a smashing success. People loved it. They had a, it was a shout out to our guy, PJ over on Twitter. Uh, he suggested it. He said, Hey, any chance we can get these four guys together in a spaces and, and just talk some football, talk some bills, some trade deadline. It was about two thirty yesterday. I think at one point we had over 700 people. Yeah. In the chat, we even had Carlos Williams, uh, former Bills running back, pop in and, and drop some knowledge. I mean, that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a great uh, chatting with the Bills fans. A lot of really good questions, interactions. Um, you know, again, shout out to PJ for the idea. And you're right, over 700 people. Carlos Williams, so so articulate, uh, so well-spoken that, you know, I wouldn't be shocked here if in the near future there's a, there's a role for him in the media somewhere. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to be in that Twitter spaces, uh, we told him we'd love to have him on the show sometime. And I, you know, he is outstanding with the way he broke things down for fans in terms of when you go to a new team, the terminology, how easy it is maybe to pick up a playbook, this, that, and the other. Uh, so looking forward to having him on shout here in the near future too, because he was a wonderful, uh, contributor to that Twitter spaces. You know, we got into a lot of what we thought the bills might do. And I think if you look at this roster right now, the two logical places that you go to are the offensive line and defensive line. We spent a lot of time on that. I think we kind of pushed off the tight end position. We know where they stand on it. We know where they stand on the cornerback position. This goes back to training camp and preseason and roster cutdown day when they went into the season. So much so that they're confident in Dawson Knox and Tommy Sweeney that they moved on from Jacob Hollister, who's gone on uh, to, uh, was it Jacksonville? And he's is he still in Jacksonville? He, he is at the time being, he's kind of been buried on that depth chart a little bit, especially after they acquired Dan Arnold. Mm, um, yeah. Kind of, you know, a little bit of an afterthought there, but he, he's still making some plays here and there. Yeah. He had a touchdown that I remember. And listen, he's a guy that I think that has proved over three years can make some plays in this league, albeit hasn't been given an opportunity to start anywhere, but he, he was, he probably was the second most talented tight end overall in terms of accomplishment and experience. And they moved on because they of what they believe in Tommy Sweeney and Dawson Knox. Knox is around the facility. It doesn't seem like he's going on IR. So I wasn't shocked that they didn't go after a tight end. Cornerback, too. I know everybody wants these these big, like, marquee names. Kyle Fuller gets t- thrown around a lot. I think I maintain that. I think that's the toughest position to get to go out and trade for somebody and integrate them into your scheme. You know, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, Tredavious White, Levi Wallace, they've been playing together for four years. I mean, to to put somebody new in the mix there, you, you might mess up the mojo. I mean, we're talking about Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer being on a historic pace right now. I mean, mm. they both had five interceptions apiece in 2018, I believe it was, or 2019. You know, they're on pace. Maybe both of them can break that mark this year. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm surprised that Kyle Fuller wasn't moved, not necessarily to Buffalo, uh, just because of the way that they had been using him over the past few weeks. Two snaps, one game, no snaps the next. And they're definitely, uh, I know they, they won against Washington, but they're kind of on a down, down world downward spiral. So uh, I don't necessarily think of them as a playoff contender. So I was surprised that he at least stayed with them. But, you know, you look around the league, Matt, there weren't a lot of premier cornerbacks that were on the market. It was mostly pass rusher, see ball, get ball, uh, as Greg Thompson so put it in our Twitter spaces, which, you know, you can come in and go after a quarterback. It's kind of an, an easier role, so to speak. The Bills were reportedly in on Von Miller to a certain extent. Um, they, they at least called and inquired. But that's all we know about the Bills with the trade deadline. And when it comes to offensive linemen, th- there might be more confidence than what we know in the guys that are already there, the guys that are the reserves waiting in the wings. Players like Ike Butker, who started last game. Players like Cody Ford, who have started in the past. And the list goes on and on and on. Ryan Bates, for instance. And then, it, you know, the, the last thing is it takes two teams to tango. And I guarantee you, uh, if the Bills were looking for, for guards, they, they probably weren't liking the asking price for some of these players. And, and that's what it comes down to. You need to find someone that wants to play ball and is willing to move a player with, a, you know, a realistic transaction going back to that team, whether it's a draft pick, whether it's a player in a draft pick, whatever the case may be. So I'm sure that Brandon Bean was working the phones all day on uh, Tuesday, even Monday and the weekend before that, it's just most likely he couldn't find the right match, so to speak. Maybe he was working the phone, but according to Sean McDermott, maybe not. Checked out this clip. Um, given that you guys, the trade deadline came and went and you guys didn't add or just subtract from the team, is that, I guess, maybe a declaration that you like your team, you like where you are? I mean, you're always trying to improve, but it seems like that was a declaration that we like who we are. I just... Walked into Bean's office, make sure he was not sleeping in there. I mean, <laughs> knocked, uh, knocked first, and then he didn't answer, so I had to make sure he wasn't sleeping. No, yeah, I mean, we always trust our players. Um, we like who we have. Um, so, uh, still, I think the thing for a coach in this in this position is we got work to do. Um, so, I mean, Brandon does a great job handling all the personnel things, and um, I know he looked and. And he's always going to look to try and improve our football team. I think that's the bottom line, right? Like this, this isn't something that just happens around trade deadline day. I mean, this is something that goes back. Brandon Bean was talking about, you know, looking at other players on waiver wires, guys that have hit the market going back to, you know, uh, preseason. And obviously after cutdown day, they're always evaluating, evaluating what's out there. And so to hear that they made a call on Bob Miller wasn't surprising at all. The big thing for me, Ryan, is, you know, a second and third, I think that that's reasonable for Von Miller. I don't have a problem with the compensation, to be honest with you. If the Bills made that deal in an attempt to improve things in the defensive line, you know where I stand on that. You know where mm. what I thought about adding a big-time pass rusher. I don't know if Von Miller is still that at this stage. We'll find out because now he's going to be paired with with Aaron Donald, and who knows what you know the 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 sky could be the limit for what they can do as a combination. Could revitalize Von Miller's career if he could stay healthy. And correct me if I'm wrong. He was dealing with some injury stuff already this season, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he was trending toward coming back and playing here. And it looks like he'll probably suit up and play in this first game with the Rams. But injuries are always a concern with these veterans. Right. And so the second and the third, 
for what I still think is kind of in that J.J. Watt territory of a cross your fingers and hope and wait and see. You know, it's not the kind of move that I feel like I've used it as is an example on the show with Frank Clark to the chiefs. You are getting a premier pass rusher, a guy still in his prime. I think you can argue that Von Miller is probably on the other side of it. If, if he's still in it, he's at, he's at the back end. He's on the back nine and maybe deep in the back nine. So second and third round pick. I think that, that probably scared Brandon Bean off a little bit. And if it didn't scare him off, I'd imagine that it's it kind of said, you know, we're not going to beat that and we're going to take ourselves, we'll recuse ourselves from this scenario. And I, and I think that that's a smart move as much as I wanted them to address the pass rush. I still think that that's a lot. Yeah. And it is. And listen, with the Rams, with the bills, um, a second and a third is really kind of like a third and a fourth. And I know that doesn't make much sense, but it's going to be a late two. It's going to be a late three. And for both of these teams, because they're going to both be in the playoffs, both have a good chance to make a pretty deep run here. So I, I didn't mind the compensation either. And, and for all we know, maybe Brandon Bean did have that offer on the table. Maybe he said, you know what? We'll match the the offer of the Rams. And when it comes down to it, it wouldn't shock me if the Broncos said, well, we want to get him out of the conference. So we would rather send him to the NFC than the AFC. We do see that uh, from time to time. So will we ever know the whole, you know, how deep the bills were in on Von Miller? Probably not. But uh, there were at least a few calls made. It seems like uh, even Denver's head coach acknowledged that there were two other teams in addition to the Rams, reportedly the Bills and I believe the Cowboys that were really trying to make a push for Von Miller. Did you see that uh, Les Snead, uh, the GM for the Rams, his kids got him a mug with a meme that uh, basically says F, uh, F draft picks? <laughs> <laughs> I I think I did see that one. Was it with the Michael Jordan quote about those? Yeah. You know, those, yes. He's got a brand. He's leaning into it. He's not bashful about it. And it's a philosophy. And that's another thing I tweeted out. If we see like a Bills Rams Super Bowl and we're putting the cart before the horse a little bit there, I think Matt Stafford's already dealing with some back soreness. As good as he's been, remember, he's a little bit older and he's a guy that in recent years has dealt with injuries in his own right. Uh, he's got to stay healthy for a 17 game season and then a playoff run. If we see the Rams and the Bills in the Super Bowl, it would almost be a philosophical battle as much as it is between the players on the field. I mean, how the Rams have gotten to this point with the roster that they have. Trade for Stafford, trade for Ramsey, try to put pieces, big time pieces, splashy pieces around them, trade for Von Miller. You know, the Bills haven't really gone that direction. They made the one big splashy move to go get Stephon Diggs. A lot of, a lot elsewhere has been, you know, piecemeal in terms of free agency and then, you know, growing your own. Yeah, absolutely. And, and listen, um, so I've I've been asked the question over the years, if you could have one job in, in the NFL, what would it be? I think it might be being like a, a scout or one of those front office guys that are supposed to be in charge of the draft for the Rams, because really you're getting paid good money and you're just kind of not going to do anything with the information that you have. So, you know what the meme was that probably played in, in, in that room for the Rams, the not the meme, that little video clip from the office when um Michael Scott's like, no, oh God, no, no, oh God, no, no. That one had to be playing. <laughs> With that Toby one. coming back. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. I know exactly what you're talking about. But, you know, listen, if they win a Super Bowl, just one Super Bowl, doesn't matter if they lose half of those veterans two years from now, three years from now, because they have that trophy in the trophy case. At the end of the day, that's what matters. So it's an interesting uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it works out. Now, mind you, if it, they don't win a, a Super Bowl this year, next year, 
Well, then that plan blew up, and they're going to be a really old team pretty quickly, and they're going to have to uh, tear it down and rebuild it sooner rather than later. But it's it's one of those things that you can't wait to watch and see how it unfolds. Uh, we asked uh, Stefan Diggs was asked about uh, not making a move at the trade deadline, and we'll we'll talk about this in a moment. Uh, but this is here. Here's what he said: I feel like we can weather the storm. Um, I feel like we they've built the right kind of guys here. You know, we got the right kind of team here. Uh, when things are good, they're good. When things aren't as good, um, nobody is getting low. Nobody's hanging their head in. Nobody's uh, feeling sorry for itself. I feel like uh, even after a loss, you know, we come back out here with the same mindset we had going into the, that previous game of, you know, we're trying to win. We're going to do everything we can to win, and we're going to work extremely hard. So uh, I just feel like we got it. We got the right makeup. You know, I said that we got the right makeup. Just got to make sure it translate and execute. And no, just no major moves at the deadline, too. Do you think that, like, what does that say to you about the, the, what the belief upstairs is about? The I mean, they feel like we got the right pieces. Uh, I, didn't, I don't even think we made a lot of moves last year when I was here. So, excuse me, I'm sorry. But uh, trusting the guys that you have, trusting the people that you have, I feel like we have the right team. We have, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't deal too much in operations of players, but I know, I know the guys that I go to battle with each and every day, and I trust them. You know what I'm saying? I have 100% confidence in them, and I'm glad that they have confidence with, in them as well. I think that that's, you know, pretty good insight into the mentality of how the team approaches it. You know, if you if you trade for a guy and you bring in talent, that does one thing, right? I mean, that it adds reinforcement. It's, it brings in another piece maybe to the puzzle. But by not doing it, I think that Brandon Bean in a lot of ways sends a message as well. Part one, I believe in you. But part two, now the pressure's on. And, you know, one of the things that I think – Stefan Diggs has talked about the last couple of weeks and a little bit more today has been like, it really hasn't clicked 100% for this offense yet. Right. We're going to talk about this offensive line in a minute. And uh, Sarah, who's uh, producing right now, she's going to put up this comment from Matthew Riedel. Uh, Does Josh Allen's elusiveness to avoid sacks diminish the coaching staff's concern to get another IOL interior offensive lineman? I think they should have gotten someone. We'll talk about that in a moment. You know, Steph's talked a lot about today, like playing left-handed, learning how to play left-handed. When when defenses take something away from you, you got to be able to beat them with other things in your arsenal. You know, so if they take away the deep passing game, are you able to run the ball? And I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is a little bit of sprinkled in old school Josh Allen, like the guy that's willing to go to run the ball, get downhill, take some hits, get physical. But I think that this is a good point. This is also a good point. There is a little bit of a concern about the the level of play of this interior offensive line, and that's a big reason why I think both of us agreed that maybe a shot in the dark at an Andrew Norwell, if the compensation wasn't crazy, would have made a lot of sense. Yeah, it would have made sense to get a Norwell or Hernandez from the Giants or an Eric Flowers from Washington, all players that had been discussed on uh, social media's options, getting late in their contracts, this, that, or the other. Uh, but again, for whatever reason, you know, maybe those players weren't even available. We don't know. Uh, but there, there's something to that. Yes, with the, with the question itself, Josh Allen is able to sidestep, get around pressure when there's one guy in his face. Absolutely. He does it all the time. It's when there's two or three guys that get beaten that you see the problems, you see the sacks, you see. Uh, maybe scrambling backwards and, and trying to do too much or whatever the case may be. It'll be interesting to see over these next few weeks what happens with John Feliciano out to dealing with the, the strained calf, how they adjust the offensive line, what that looks like starting on 
Sunday in Jacksonville and then going against the Jets who, you know, had a great game this past week and they'll, they'll be playing tomorrow night on Thursday night football. Uh, you know, the, the list goes on and on, but it's something to watch. It's, it's certainly something that I think is fair for fans to be concerned about. We saw they could not run the ball against Miami, at least not with any, uh, sustained success because of the offensive line play, but maybe whatever this new line looks like, uh, whether Spencer Brown is back as well, we'll just have to kind of see if they can get it going and get things figured out here in the near future. Yeah, so uh, Feliciano is deemed week-to-week. He didn't practice today. Spencer Brown, uh, Sean McDermott teased a little bit before practice that he might do a little work today. We didn't see him out there. Uh, He was doing some work off to the side with Dawson Knox and Marquise Stevenson, who I know people keep keep asking me about uh, Marquise Stevenson and maybe getting him and injecting him into the return game at some point. I think he's kind of on the Isaiah Hodgins plan. I I, I think that he's going to be kind of a long-term you know, keep them on IR. Uh, if if injuries pop up, maybe they maybe they do activate them at that point. But you know, I think they're pretty all in on Isaiah McKenzie, and you know, that could probably change if there's a couple more muffs here in the in the next couple of weeks. But we'll see how that progresses. But Spencer Brown didn't practice today. Feliciano didn't practice today. So right now, if you're projecting out to the weekend and they're both out, that likely puts Cody Ford back in the mix. And to not make a deal at the deadline. I really think that that tells you that it's not just lip service what the Bills are talking about when we ask them about how Cody Ford's handled all this. And I asked Sean again today. I asked Josh. I'm, I'm probably going to be doing a story on Cody Ford this weekend. Potentially, you know, I mean, if if, if it looks like he, he's going to have to play, you know, and I asked both of them, like, w- w- you know, where are things at with him? Like, because, you know, you get benched in this league and there's no telling how you bounce back from that. And He's Sean has said it. I, I get it. Like I understand the skepticism that you bench a guy and, and and you say that you know you've liked a lot of the things that he's done. I get the skepticism because you, there's a reason that you bench him. Basically, I mean, I'm paraphrasing there. And he said what he's seen from Cody Ford since that point, going back to the drawing board, re-establishing his technique, fundamentals, going back to you know the basics, especially at the guard position. You know that he's still in the kind of early stages of that. I know he played guard in college, but this was this has been a big transition in his career. And to miss as much time as he did last year, I still think that there was going to be some bumps in the road. Um, somebody asking about Forrest Lamp still being out there. He's not. He's in the practice squad with uh, the Saints, I believe. So technically, you could poach him off the practice squad if you want, but I don't know if that's definitely necessarily the answer. Um, I think getting Cody Ford back in here, maybe getting him a couple getting a couple more looks at him isn't the worst thing, Ryan, because you're going to have to make a decision on him long-term. And I don't know if there's enough to go off of yet. Maybe there is in the bill's eyes and maybe they, you know, at, they're at this point and, you know, I've had these conversations with plenty of people, like maybe they are just at this point where they're ready to move on and they're just biding their time to maybe an off season move or whatever. But I still think I'd, I'd just like to see some more of Cody Ford at guard before I definitively say he, he's not it. Yeah, and that's fair. Listen, he's had some bad luck with injuries early in his career. Uh, they had him at tackle at, at one point. They they move him to guard. That he's you know he hasn't had a stable position uh, for the most part early in his career, and and now they want him to play a guard. And early in the year, he had some moments at training camp and in the preseason, even the, the first few weeks of the regular season. I thought he was okay. 
Then he had the game where he gave up uh, double-digit pressures, I believe. Uh, and that was pretty much when they yanked him. They pulled him off the field. So it, it will be interesting to see if he is out there on Sunday. What does that mean in terms of he, he's gone back to the drawing board on his technique and the basics? Does it actually show on film? Can he keep the defenders in front of him, open up run lanes? I thought that he, is, he had been one of their better run blockers, at least. Uh, so if he is out there, maybe the run game will be more efficient against Jacksonville. Time will tell, but I do think the Bills are absolutely closer to moving on from him than thinking that he's a long-term piece of the puzzle, even if that piece of the puzzle is uh, as a reserve or a depth option. I, I, I feel like there's a better chance of him not being on this roster next year than there is of him being on it. But th- these are what this is what happens when injuries occur. You get these opportunities, and maybe he takes the ball and runs with it, so to speak, and he proves that he is an option long-term. One thing that I wanted to mention on, you know, finding a suitable or a worthwhile piece to add on the, the offensive line. Usually even bad teams aren't in a rush to give up good players. If Will Hernandez or, you know, more so maybe even Eric Flowers are available, there's probably a reason because a team is, you know, willing to get some compensation back and figure that they could probably improve on that level of play in the draft wherever you you go. And if that's a deal that gets done and you give a fourth-round pick, I think that that says a lot about the player that you're trading for. And to me, what they have on the roster right now is at least at that level. You know what I mean? I, I know that there's been some up-and-down play from John Feliciano, but there's been a lot more good play from that guy over the course of his career than I think fans give him credit for. I think that there was one good game uh, from Cody Ford this year, and then he had two bad games, and then he was benched. So is is Cody Ford a great player by any stretch of the imagination at this juncture of his career? Absolutely not. But I still think that there's there's some figuring out that needs to be done. I think that Feliciano is a flexible piece. Uh, I have question marks about Ike Bucker, uh, but our good friend Jeremiah Searles is always tooting that uh, uh, Ike Bucker train. Uh, but I, I think that there's pieces that they can kind of lean on. They have some versatility with what they're able to do with Daryl Williams. And so I think that, if you look at the Jaguar situation in particular, number one, why that trade for Norwell always seemed like a bit of a pipe dream. You're playing them this week. So they're going to trade a player to you days before you play them. That's number one. Number two. And I know people talked about Josh Allen as well. The the defensive end for the Jaguars, you know, trading him. He's one of the good things that they have going. That never really made sense to me, but whatever. Norwell is blocking is probably with the best offensive lineman in front of their rookie franchise quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, even if you want to add draft capital, which I know that they, they, they do, they're building from the ground up. You don't, you don't jeopardize Trevor Lawrence and trade one of the most important pieces up front in front of him for a, you know, a, a day two pick even. I just think that that's not good team building and that might be a good transition to what Urban Meyer said today about what he's seen about the about the Bills build. Yeah, no, that is a great transition. But last thing on Cody Ford, uh, I, I think that the last caveat about his benching is the Bills also wanted to get Spencer Brown out on the field and to get Brown out on the field, you had to kick Daryl Williams over to one of those guard spots and you weren't going to keep Ford out there over John Feliciano. Now is an opportunity, possibly, for Cody Ford to step up and show that he is a capable starter. It'll be really interesting to see how that all unfolds on Sunday. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. 
from uh, Hot to Go Pizza and Appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs, delicious salads and brownie trays. Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. Get there this weekend for some uh, Bills Jaguars, which, by the way, we're going to be previewing that on Friday. Okay. Uh, Urban Meyer today was mm. he met with the media in Jacksonville. And uh, you had mentioned it uh, before we went on the air. What did uh, he say about Mr. Uh, Brandon Bean? Yeah. So when he was talking about the Bills in general, he said that Buffalo as a whole is a team that they've studied. He said it's one of the best builds in football in, you know, kind of like recent memory that they can think of. Uh, it's something that they want to model their franchise after, so to speak. And, and, you know, listen, it's not quite the same. The Bills never had the number one overall pick. They never had um, a quarterback waiting for them in, in Trevor Lawrence, who was deemed the next big thing. The Bills took a shot on Josh Allen, who many draft analysts had panned as being a project, being someone who never developed. So right there alone, there's a big difference in terms of how they went about getting their quarterbacks. The Bills did their due diligence, did a lot of work and felt confident, and it's paid off. Trevor Lawrence, he he seemed like a sure thing coming out of Clemson, although there's no such thing as a sure thing uh, from college to the pros, but he's certainly flashed at times. Long term, we'll see if they take a similar approach building through the draft or if they try to make some splash moves here and there through free agency. It's been a little bit of both for Buffalo. I mean, the Bills never broke the bank necessarily, but they did go out and they they ended up signing Cole Beasley and John Brown originally, obviously swung the trade for Stefan Diggs. So it hasn't all been through the draft for the Bills, but they've done a lot of their work, especially early on in in this regime's tenure with building through the draft. So if Jacksonville can have that kind of success, Urban Meyer could build that team up into something special here in the near future. You know, it's interesting that he said that because, you know, you look at their, just take a look at their defensive side of the ball and, you know, they went on free agency and they had a kind of a head scratching, like big time splashy free agent move in shining, signing Shaq Griffin, the cornerback from Seattle and he's a good player. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't know if that's where you want to start. Like, right. I mean, if you're following the Bills model, I mean, they went out and they signed Jordan Poyer, uh, Poyer and Micah Hyde. And, you know, they spent their money on the defensive line. And, and I think that that's allowed them to be pretty consistent over the last couple of years with the, their defense as the offense kind of played catch up. So I almost feel like, you know, the, the model was, and, and maybe it wasn't even by design. It was just by the fact that Brandon B missed the first draft and, you know, Sean McDermott and Doug Whaley, you know, hit, hit some uh, home runs with Matt Milano and Deion Dawkins and obviously Tredavious White. But by the time that they started this thing, they had kind of already put some pieces in place when they drafted their quarterback. And then it just kind of like built and built and built downhill that, you know, right now I look at everything that's gone on with Urban Meyer and, you know, you can't be the guy at any point where fans or media or even your own players are questioning, you know, your ability to run the thing. And so I think just that in and of itself, I mean, it's a it's a good thought to have, but I think they have a lot of work to do to play catch up after what I what I viewed from a distance is a pretty shaky start to the build. Yeah, no, I, and that's certainly fair. And they've already had some uh, moments where. That, that have not been so good for Urban Meyer, not traveling home with the team. We, we don't have to get into all of that, but put himself in a bad spot with the ownership and, and everything else. Um, they, they spent a first round draft pick on a uh, Travis Etienne, obviously suffered an injury. We don't know how good or bad of a pick that would have been. Uh, but when you had as many needs as Jacksonville has, that that's more of like a luxury pick that teams could have made, like a Buffalo, 
like those teams late in the first round for the most part. Um, so it, it's not quite the same just yet, but time will tell if they can even kind of uh, come close to having the success the Bills have had in terms of how they've built this thing up. Uh, I want to bring in uh, Sarah here in a moment, but before we do, I want to get into um, the Aaron Rodgers story today because Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting from a couple angles. Um, Obviously unvaccinated, it's been reported. He's going to be out at least 10 days. And I think that that is something, you know, going back to, and don't worry, you don't have to all flood off. We're not going to get into the vaccination conversation. Like that's, you know, nobody uh, has the uh, uh, patience for that uh, at this point. But I think just taking the football implications and discussing that quite a bit, this is a very interesting situation because it's happening in the middle of the season. So I, if you're if you're talking about like the impact on the Packers right now, I honestly don't think it's going to be that much. I mean, he might miss two games. You get kind of a, a, a look, a glance at Jordan Love, which, by the way, I have him in Dynasty. So very nice. Here's a funny story about Dynasty this week. I'm playing um, – I can't remember who I'm playing. but um, So I have Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, and you could play two quarterbacks in this league, and that's why, obviously, I drafted them so highly. Wilson's obviously out, so I, I went out and I put a ton of money on Geno Smith. So he's been playing. He's on a bye this week. So I was going to have to go to Kyler Murray and no second quarterback. And then all of a sudden, out of the clear blue – this Aaron Rodgers stuff happens, and I immediately put Jordan Love in the starting lineup. I got my two quarterbacks back, so good development for me, I guess. Uh, but, you know, I think it's interesting that, you know, it happens in the regular season, and I think you're probably fine in most situations, especially the Bills, who have Mitchell Trubisky, who, as an aside, some of the some of the, the, the hype yesterday, some of the buzz yesterday that was Mitchell Trubisky potentially being a trade uh, asset for the Bills to move him. I think this is a situation that, you know, with Aaron Rodgers shows that and it doesn't have to be COVID related. It could be an injury where Josh Allen's out two or three weeks. I think that that's where Mitchell Trubisky's value is maybe even bigger than a, I, I hate to say it, maybe even a first round pick right now, Ryan, because of what you're trying to do this season. If, if Josh Allen misses three games, right? And you lose those three games because you're forced to play Jake Fromm or Davis Webb, as opposed to maybe you you win two of three, or maybe you win all three with Mitch Trubisky if he's looking good with this offense. I think that's too big of a price to pay if you maybe lose out on the one seed because you were thinking about future years. I think it's all about this year, especially now that Derrick Henry's out. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, when it comes to the Packers, um, maybe it won't be a big deal that Rodgers misses one or two possible games. But if at the end of the season, they're not the number one seed in in the conference, then that's going to loom large if they lose one or both of these games, because, you know, they, they go into Arizona, they beat Arizona. They're pretty much in that driver's seat now. And listen, there's still Tampa Bay to worry about and a few other teams, Dallas. Uh, but I, I think that green Bay was in the driver's seat after that win on Thursday night football, shorthanded to being able to defeat Arizona. And we know the importance of, of home field advantage in the playoffs. Now you're going to Jordan love. And, and I'm, I think in two weeks they have the Seahawks. So that could be Russell Wilson's return to action. Uh, and then this week they have the Kansas city chiefs and listen, uh, Rogers could have done the bills and a lot of AFC teams a favor by handing the chiefs another loss. And, and maybe pushing them further down the the AFC rankings to where they wouldn't be making the playoffs this year. Who knows? But now you're given the Chiefs life. And anyone that watched the Chiefs in that Giants game, it was ugly. 
Um, they, they won ugly. They, they won by three points. It, it was not a win to feel great about, but a win is a win. And now they're going to be going against a Jordan Love quarterback team in Green Bay, and that's another chance for them to get another win and get on the right side of five, you know, get over 500. So it does have some kind of implications for the Bills and some of is these pa- other teams in pa- the AFC. Is Patrick, is Patrick Mahomes throwing for five touchdowns? Because they'll probably have to do that to beat Jordan Love's four touchdowns. Oh, look at you. You, you hope so for your fantasy team. Yeah, uh, buddy. <laughs> I don't know if Mahomes is throwing for five touchdowns. I thought he could have thrown for about four interceptions in that Giants game. There's there's something wrong with him right now. I you know, I don't want to speculate, but yeah, I know the mechanics have always been a mess. He's always been unorthodox, but just something seems off with his throws. He's making bad decisions, what, whatever it is, but I think that now that you have, a, you know, you add Melvin Ingram at the trade deadline, you have Frank Clark, you have some other pieces in that defense, they're going to start playing a little bit better, I would like to think. I still think they're a very bad defense, don't get me wrong, uh, on the back end and in, in the middle, anywhere that uh, Sorensen's on the field. So any uh, across that board, but now there's a chance for the Chiefs to win this game and to build up some, some of that momentum. So there are implications to what Rodgers did for Green Bay and for the, the NFC conference, but also for the bills and some of these teams in the AFC. All right. So let's bring in Sarah now. Hello, Sarah Holland. How are you this evening? I'm good. How are you guys? We are wonderful. So what do you have for us to close out the show? Yeah. So um, Josh Allen was obviously asked about his appearance on the Manning cast. And he mentioned that he had a super fun time, but was a little nervous about saying something stupid. So I just wanted to see, uh, what you guys thought about his appearance on Monday. I'll start and just say that I thought I was a little bit bored <laughs> with it. Uh, you know, he, he kind of said and previewed it and said I was going to be, he was going to be, um, you know, not giving them any sound bites or anything like that. But once it started, I thought that they would kind of get loose and, and, and talk a little bit about, you know, just talk a little football. And, I, and they did at one point, I think Josh got comfortable as the, as it went along. He started talking about some scheme stuff about trying to get, you know, defenses to, to, to go one safety high and get them out of their two safety looks. And I think that that was, you know, probably gave a lot of football fans some excitement, but he said some, when we talked to him today, he said one of the things he probably wasn't expecting to be as nervous because it's like, he does so many interviews and does so many media, but it's a little bit different when you're going to be live like that and like no script. And like, it's not really like a question answer. It is. And it isn't, you know, you got the Manning brothers and you know, you've got the whole world watching. So I think that piece of it, Ryan kind of just was like, you know, he was even a little bit of starstruck, I think in that moment. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of being starstruck, having to, uh, not knowing necessarily what they're going to ask you about it and being able to have that conversation going, but also being able to pay attention to the game that was going on at the same time, because you're also watching that and discussing that as it happens and big plays and fumbles that took place, this, that, or the other. So he was juggling multiple hats. I think he was fine. I think it was uh, pretty standard with all, what a lot of the other guests have done on the show. I don't know what some people were necessarily expecting, but, you know, good for him. He he talked about it. he didn't think he was necessarily the right fit for it with, with what he told the media, but he got on there and he got to uh, be part of that show for better or worse. So what do you guys think of the Manning cast curse? I've seen some fans in the comments tonight uh, bring that up. Every NFL player that has been on the show, their team has lost the following week. Is Josh Allen going to be the one that ends that curse? I think so. I don't really have too much concern. I agree with some fans in the chat there. 
I don't really have too much concerns, especially um, seeing who they're going to, if they're facing this week. I feel like if any week that, that curse is going to get shut down, this is the week. I mean, what did the Matt, the Madden curse went on for like decades, right? Before it kind of got debunked. And I can't remember who it was. Was it Antonio Brown? I think the the year, oh no, I guess that his, it still continued with him because that's when he got into all the legal trouble. But I think this is a game on both sides of the ball. This is a Bills team that I still don't think offensively has played its best game. And this is a defense that just got slaughtered by Geno Smith. So I, I don't think that you could be better set up for a day like this. I think that's certainly fair, but I just watched Tom Brady lose to a quarterback named Trevor. Come on, that should never happen in the NFL. I watched Trevor Simeon sling that ball all over his Buccaneers. No, I I, I think it's going to be fine at the end of the day. Uh, I I think that the Bills match up really well with Jacksonville, obviously, for a number of reasons. So uh, I think the Manning cast curse will be a thing of the past here pretty soon. If you're hosting a large party this weekend for any reason, football or otherwise, check out Topps' huge selection of party platters for a delicious, effortless, affordable, no-stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasyfoodball. That is it. We are done for the night. For Sarah Holland, Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. This has been Shout, a Buffalo football podcast. See you real soon. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast. Hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.